Hi, everybody, and welcome to uh, the latest episode of the TCU Neely School of Business Real Estate Webinar. My name is Carl Pankratz, and I'm an adjunct professor at TCU. And I'm also the president and managing director of Blackacre Commercial, the sponsor for today's event. Uh, so before we get started, uh, we usually have Christina Rangel-Batista on to tell us a little bit about what's going on at TCU. And I can kind of fill in today. Uh, first and foremost, uh, it's, it's an exciting time to be on the TCU campus. We are doing classes in person, and uh, there's been a great response to that. So um, obviously, you know, we've talked in the past about kind of all the uh, offerings at the Neely School. Uh, one particular uh, that has been really exciting is the healthcare MBA. So uh, real estate and healthcare obviously go hand in hand. Uh, hospitals take up a lot of real estate. And, uh, you know, within that, there's a lot of specialties that use strip malls and, and other areas. And, and so it's, uh, it's great to take my class in the real estate department and also pursue a, a healthcare MBA. So uh, Christina might jump on a little later, but uh, I can't say enough good things about the excitement and energy. And uh, let us know if you're considering an MBA. I'd love to talk to you more about TCU. So with that, we have a guest that uh, me and David have been friends for I don't know, five to seven years. And uh, there's just, there's not a better guy in the business in Oklahoma than David. I, uh, you know, it's David, it's, it's funny. It's, it's kind of as you grow with people, it's just great to see them uh, achieve success. And, and just seeing David, you know, kind of at his former firm and, and, and all he built with that to, you know, to see where he's at today in his new platform. Uh, it's just exciting to see, you know, good people uh, reach success. So um, with that, uh, David Dirk Schneider, uh, Capstone, you know, if you don't mind, let's just start off by telling us a little bit about yourself. Sure. No, and thank you. That's, that, and I agree. It's been awesome uh, just getting to know you over the years and especially when we get to spend time together and, and hang out. Usually at NMHC, although we didn't get to go this year uh, or so far, but uh, but and I, I appreciate you inviting me on here. That's uh, Yeah, David, real quick, my, my, my best NMHC story or one of my best is uh, we had time to kill. It was the last day we had time to kill. We're in Orlando. So we decided to try our hand at an escape room together. <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> so I highly recommend you're in Orlando. They have a great escape room. So sorry about that, David. No, no. you're good. No, no, I, yeah. I remember it vividly. It was fun. Hey, you got yeah. to do something when you're waiting for your flight. So rather <laughs> rather do that than sit in an airport. So, uh, no, you know, a little about me. I mean, um, you know, professionally wise, I mean, I've, I've been in the apartment business now, I guess, for I guess about 16 years, um, you know, just exclusively do apartments. I love it. I mean, I live and breathe this stuff and, and I truly, I tell people, you know, it's, yeah, I don't really consider it work because I enjoy what I do. So I, I enjoy coming in. Uh, that's why, you know, sometimes I'll work in the evenings or on weekends if I've got something I need to do, not because I have to, but just truly because I, I, I enjoy it. And I think, I think, you know, my clients that work with me understand that because, um, you know, I get enthusiastic about it and, um, yeah, it, it, it's hard to get enthusiastic about work, but I really do. Um, you know, per, uh, personally wise, I mean, a lot of people get, they, they always think this is interesting. I've got six kids and uh, an amazing wife that takes care of that. So, you know, that really keeps me grounded and it keeps me focused too. Um, there's, there's never a quiet evening or quiet weekend at our house. That's, that's for sure. Uh, in fact, we did a, a surprise 40th birthday for my wife this weekend. And it was a lot of fun, but, uh, just always, always excitement and activity going on. So sometimes I like coming to the office because it's quiet. <laughs> but, uh, you know, that's, you know, and then you know, I started out uh, <clears throat> after high school, I went into the Marine Corps and uh, served about seven and a half years, you know, active and then reserves. 
um, did a tour in Iraq and you know, it, it's really defined a lot of who I am. As you can see in my background, I got Marine Corps stuff on my walls and um, something I'm proud of and, and really glad I got an opportunity to do and still have a lot of good friends from that to this day. Um, then moved, lived in San Diego for a little while uh, after the Marine Corps started doing mortgages, right? So I was doing mortgages while I was in college and, and uh, I went to the Marine Corps to pay for college and then started doing mortgages. Um, and just really like that business. I mean, I'd, I'd done some construction stuff when I was in high school. I've, al I've always worked. I always liked to, to work and make money. And so, you know, mortgages were kind of like the next thing involved real estate. And so did mortgages for a while, learned from a really good guy that actually is what got me into apartments. He was doing, uh, I was doing mostly residential mortgages and he was doing uh, mortgages on apartments. And so I thought, man, that's, that's really interesting. Those are some big dollars. And so it just kind of got me interested in it. And then at the time uh, we had my daughter. And so that brought us back to Oklahoma where all our family was. And I, I saw an ad in the paper just said, uh, you know, recent uh, college grad for uh, uh, apartment management. I think that's exactly what it said. And I thought well, I could do that. And so I went and uh, joined a guy that was one of the largest apartment owners in Oklahoma, uh, became the general manager for his company and oversaw his whole portfolio, uh, buying and selling apartments and Really what I say is got my PhD in apartments and then just saw, you know, every time we'd sell a property, I'd see the closing statement and see the, the what these brokers were making on these deals. I was like, man, they're making more money than I do in one deal that I make all year. And so, so I, I with, with on good terms, switched over to the brokerage side. In fact, the, the first big deal I closed was for the guy that I used to work for and, and I've loved it ever since. I mean, that's, that's essentially what got me into the apartment business, kind of a, a unique string of events and uh, that got me here today. And I love it. Yeah. And I always like to talk about the journey uh, as we get to the destination. And, you know, one question, candidly, I didn't ask you before this, but, uh, you know, I want to talk about kind of, you know, going, you were in sales in the mortgage business, you mentioned, and then obviously you went into property management, but now you're at brokerage. So, you know, what's insightful is, you know, going back to Iraq. So, I mean, you did a tour in Iraq and it was one of the first tours in Iraq. And and so just kind of, a, you know, from a, a mental toughness, you know, from a when things aren't going well as, you know, maybe as a brokerage or as you were starting your business, um, you know, what are some lessons learned from that time that you apply to yourself today? Yeah, you know, I, I think that one of the biggest things that I've learned is that nothing is impossible, right? I mean, uh, throughout not just Iraq but the whole time in the Marine Corps, I learned that that you can you can do much more than you think you can do. Right uh, when you're forced to do it, you, you will do it. And so there's a lot of times, you know, just in business, you, you look at stuff, you're like, I just can't do it. That's too hard, or that's man, that's just that take too much effort. And you really you kind of humble yourself and realize that you know what, it's not impossible. Yeah, it is going to take hard work, but it, it can be done. Right, you can do it. Um, and I'd say that's probably the number one thing. Uh, you know, the number two thing, and I, I, you know, I've got just so many good relationships from my time, not just in Iraq, but also in the Marine Corps. And, um, you know, in fact, I've got a deal under contract with a guy that the, the, <laughs> the seller is a Marine Corps officer and the buyer is a Navy SEAL, they're retired Navy SEAL. And so, you know, you, you have those relationships that when you find a veteran and, and they just so happen to be also in the business, you, you connect, you know, you've got that relationship and it's, it's something that's hard to explain to anybody that, that hasn't been there, but um, it, it's something that still carries to this day. And that's why, you know, I have Simplify or Simplifidelis in my, uh, in my email tag. And some people look at that and they're like, what in the world is that? And it's, it's a Marine Corps motto for always faithful. And it's, it's interesting how many times I'll get a response back of nothing to do with what the email is, but just 
hey, I saw the Semper Fi, you know, I served in this, you know, you know, service for so many years or, you know, starts up a conversation. And I always think that's really neat. I mean, and, and that's why I do it is just to, to connect with people. Yeah. And I'm sure, you know, during that time, you learned a lot about teamwork. You, you saw that, you know, maybe the guys that excelled and, and maybe the guys that didn't do as well, even though you received the same training. So, you know, one more question, just kind of from a team standpoint, from those that that were, you know, that you saw that were talented at the team aspect, what did they, how did, I guess, how did they, you know, what made them maybe more successful than maybe other people in your platoon or unit? Yeah. You know, and it's interesting, you can, you can easily correlate that to business as well. Cause you know, you can do so much more as a team. And that's where one thing that the Marine Corps is really big on is, is small unit tactics. So small team tactics, basically, you know, you can do anything as a team, but there's very little you can do on your own. And so, you know, there were guys in the Marine Corps that, you know, we joke around and say simper I, which meant, you know, that somebody was selfish, like they were all out for themselves, only did their own thing. And so they were, they were all about simper I. Um, and, you know, they just, they were kind of the outcast because in the Marine Corps, it's, you realize, hey, look, this is a team effort. If we all work together, we can all get a lot more done. It's easier for everybody, uh, more is accomplished. Um, you know, and it, I kind of relate that to, you know, I think it was Warren Buffett that used this analogy is he says, you know, that he's not the smartest man in the world. He just knows to hire smart people around him. Right. And that's the same thing with the team concept. I mean, there's a lot that I can't do in my business. Right. I'm not a marketing guru. I'm not, uh, uh, you know, uh, uh, I, I used to get into numbers, but I'm not a huge number guru anymore. I've got an analyst to do that. I've got marketing people that create my marketing member or offering memorandums and our brochures and, um, you know, I've got somebody that does most of my social media stuff. There's things that I'm good at and that's what I'm going to work with, right? I'm good with building relationships and talking to people and selling real estate, but I'm not good with making a PDF package or, or coming up with, you know, you're reminding myself to post something on social media every day. So it's, you know, the team concept, we have a great team. Each person is good at their role, does what they do. And because of that, we, we excel. Well, even, you know, even in, in, with people you do business with, it's like, I mean, David, I, I personally, I want to give you business because like, I want you to excel because like, I care about you, you know? And it's like, you True. feel the same way about me. And, you know, so many people teach real, treat real, real estate is just so transactional. It's like, I just want to, I want to, I want to burn everybody I can. I want to squeeze everybody I can, or, uh, you know, I really care about the relational part. It's, it's, you know, you know it's all about me, me, me. And it just mm -hmm. seems like number one, it's like your closing dinners are so much more fulfilling whenever it's, it's with, a group of people that are your your friends and plus it's through all this stuff it's it's kind of like if you're working with a friend well then you don't want to let them down you know yeah. there's a there's a just a natural inclination to want to work harder so i mean that's such a great point so that yeah. brings us to you know kind of what you're doing now as a broker and, and what i've seen i have it's just so fun to see your last seven years to today and just continuing to see you get market share continuing to see you get kind of better product and um, you know, kind of as a, as a broker specific question, you know, it's as you grow, uh, I'm sure you get more and more people calling you saying, you know, David, uh, you, do you have that off market deal for me? You know, do you, you know, oh, I'm, yeah. I'm a buyer and I have a ton of money. And, and so I guess the question is, is that, you know, for those buyers that are trying to get on your radar, you know, how, how does that work? You know, what, what are the best ways, I guess, for them to get in line for some of these off market deals? Sure. You know, and that goes right in line with you, what you just said about, you know, uh, working with people that you like and, and people that are, you know, someone trying to screw somebody over. I mean, you know, there's a lot of people out there that do that. They think that, 
you know, I've got to make every dime I possibly can. And this deal isn't good for me unless it's bad for you. And that's just not how it is. I mean, the best deals are, are truly win-wins on both sides because everybody walks away happy and everybody's willing to do another deal. Um, and so I think one of the biggest things is, is to, to have that mindset going in, to think that, hey, you know, it can be a win-win. It, it can, I can be a good person and still make a good investment. Um, you know, you can sniff that out right away whenever someone is calling and, and they're just, uh, you know, they're cutthroat, just, you know, all about them and, and don't care about anything else. I mean, who wants to work with someone like that? I mean, life's too short and, and it's, it's miserable to work with people like that, especially right now. I mean, there are too many buyers out there to deal with someone that is just not pleasant to work with. Right. So I think that's one is, is, you know, just to be a genuine, good person, be yourself. Don't, don't fake something. I mean, just be you. Um, you know, another one's be present, right? If it's, it's interesting. I used to think that it was all about the brokers trying to, you know, win the business and, 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 you know, press the clients and all that. And really a lot of times, especially when the market's the way it is right now, there are a lot of buyers out there that are going out of their way, you know, to, to get, make sure brokers notice them, you know, it's not as, it's not the other way around anymore. And so not saying that, you know, someone's got to send me presents or do stuff like that, but you know, you want, you want to stand out to that broker. I mean, you want them to remember you when a deal comes up, you want them to think, you know what, I'm calling Carl, right? Not, you know, the, whoever else is on the top of their mind. So you got to stay present, continue to be in front of them, um, be organized. Um, you know, if you call someone and, and you say, Hey, uh, you know, I, I'm looking, you know, I'd like to buy in Oklahoma, Tennessee, North Carolina, Arizona, you know, whichever deal is the fastest. And, and whenever I do, you know, I, I'll raise the money. I'm, I'm pretty confident I can get it. You know, that's going to be the quickest way to, to, to go to the bottom of someone's list. I mean, if you call and you say, Hey, look, uh, I've got, you know, Five million in capital that I need to spend. I'm looking in, you know, Oklahoma City or Tulsa, 100 to 200 units. I need a, a 13% cash on cash. I mean, you know, whatever it is, if you're specific, then to me in my mind, I'm like, hey, this person's done their homework. They know what they're doing. And when I find that product that fits their criteria, that's going to be my call. Right. Um, and then I think the last thing is, you know, and it kind of circles back to being a good person is, you know, don't try to go around brokers. It's you see it. And the people that do that, they just have a short lived career. Yeah. You may make a good deal on that one deal, but you're not going to get any more. And as much as, you know, whether people like it or not, brokers drive the market, right? They, they have the deal velocity. I mean, they're out there looking every day. So if you try to cut brokers out, then you're really, you, I mean, you're cutting off your pipeline. I mean, that's just the way it is. So I think you just got to be present and, and just be, be a good person. Mm. Great question. So moving forward to specific markets, uh, you know, Oklahoma is, a, is obviously a state that you know well, but, you know, are there some markets specifically in Oklahoma that are hotter than others at this point? Yeah. So, I mean, you know, Oklahoma City and Tulsa, you know, are, are the primary markets just in general. And so, I mean, those those both of those are doing really well. Um, you know, if you if you really break it down even further, I mean, there's there's pockets in each city, you know, Edmond and Norman are both you know, kind of the suburbs of Oklahoma City. Really, if you look at both Tulsa and Oklahoma City, it's those suburban areas that are just really thriving right now. Tulsa has a Wasso, Jinx. There are these kind of, you know, new, not new communities, they've been around for a while, but newly uh, growing communities that it's, it's on the outskirts of town. Um, and that's not due to COVID. Th those those submarkets have just been doing really well, you know, for numerous years, but they're just really starting to, to grow or grow exponentially now. Um, but both Oklahoma City and Tulsa are very similar. 
I, I mean, they're just they're they're good. They, they, they good job growth, good employment growth, uh, population growth, steady. Um, you know, so either of those are good. I mean, rural Oklahoma is great. You just it, it depends on the investor. I mean, some people just don't. You know, they say hey, I've got to have a hundred thousand people or more. You know, in our in, in the market that I invest in, and that really limits you in Oklahoma. I mean, you got Oklahoma City, Tulsa, and Lawton, and that's about it in in that criteria. Um, there's a lot of them that are you know, 10 to 25,000 people, but th there's a lot of, you know, larger investors, like they just won't do it. But if they're willing to take it, you can get some of the best returns in those markets, but they're just, they're just a little riskier, right? I mean, there's, you know, it's a smaller market, you know, just got to make sure you're not, you know, hedging on one kind of, you know, job sector or one big employer. And if you do that, you can do really well in those, those rural markets. Now let's pause to hear from today's sponsor. Apartment owners have a lot on their plate. Dealing with lenders doesn't need to be one of them. At Blackacre Commercial, our team is comprised of individuals with high-level experience in real estate law, title insurance, city council, and acquisitions. Thus, unlike other mortgage brokers, we not only get you a great loan, we get you to close. Whether you are looking for Fannie Mae, Freddie Mac, HUD, Bridge, or Life Company loans, we are ready to help. Let Blackacre Commercial's national network of lenders and equity providers handle your next apartment refinance or acquisition. For more information, give us a call. 806-438-7194 or visit us at blackacrecommercial.com. Well, let's talk about some of the, you know, I, you know, some of the different job growth or some of the different things going on in Oklahoma City and Tulsa. So I know Oklahoma City, you know, I'm, I'm close to the family that, that, you know, put together the 21C development and mm -hmm. that really spurred so much around that. There's, there was a concert venue and that opened up a whole different side of Oklahoma City. And as you drive through, I mean, you really, you, you've seen a lot of growth this cycle and, in both entertainment options and in job growth. I mean, specifically in Oklahoma City, I mean, do you have a maybe a few notes you can share about specifically that market? Yeah, so sure. So I always refer to Oklahoma City as kind of the 401k of your portfolio if you're, you know, a national investor. So Oklahoma City doesn't have these huge spikes in in appreciation. So you're not going to buy something and you know, the next year you get 20%, you know, growth, right? You can if you reposition it or do something, but we also have over three decades of positive rent growth, right? So if you think of that, no negative rent growth in 30 years, that's outstanding. The flip side of that is, you know, we don't have 15% year over year rent growth. It's it's on average 3.15% for the last 30 years. So it's, it's slow and steady that wins the race. And so that's why I say it's kind of the 401k of your portfolio. You can invest here and and it's not going to just jump up, but it's it's pretty much not going to go down. The reason that is, though, is because they're just both very diverse, you know, markets. I mean, the, the the economy is not really driven by one thing. Everybody thinks of Oklahoma and they think oil and gas, but really, oil and gas represent less than three percent of our employment base. So, in the past, it used to be a big deal, but if you notice, the last five years, oil and gas prices have been really low. I mean, futures went negative at one point. And our market is still continuing to do well. Um, and that's because we've really diversified. Oklahoma City is really diversified in aerospace, biomedical. Uh, you know, it's Tinker, which is the largest single site employer in the state. And they're, they're expanding their contracts. I mean, literally every year they're, they're getting new contracts. Tulsa is very similar. Uh, the, the big difference between Tulsa and Oklahoma City is Tulsa is very kind of artistic or uh, really kind of the cultural leader of the state. So it's just a little different city. I mean, it's more arts driven. Uh, but both have, have you know, experienced steadily improving growth just in the, both the multifamily and business. Um, and I think that, you know, one thing that helps us kind of hedge against the national economy is the oil and gas. And what I mean by that is we have just enough of our economy 
you know, is is impacted by oil and gas that, you know, nationally, when you look at nationally, usually economies down when gas prices are high. Right. And, and generally, the economy is doing well when gas prices are low. I mean, that's it's a very general statement, but usually true. So when the national economy is, is doing well and oil prices are low, we're not so dependent on that oil and gas. So the national economy is kind of propping us up. The flip side of that, when the national economy is not doing very well, it's usually because gas prices are high, but we have just enough in GDP based on oil and gas that it props up our economy. So it kind of makes us you know, recession proof, which is why you know, several years back, Ford listed us as the most recession proof city. And that same reason still holds true today. Mm, great stuff. So in a lot of markets on the value add side, and, and for people that haven't you know, listened to this, uh, this, this podcast, you know, a lot of times on uh, you know, multifamily, the goal is to, let's say you buy a 1980s uh, vintage property, uh, you know, you'll go in and maybe you'll allocate five to $10,000 per individual unit to throw in cabinets and carpet and, and all kinds of stuff in hopes that you'll later be able to rent it for maybe $100 or $200 more. Um, and that, you know, is what's called a value add proposition. You can also add value by maybe it's not being managed uh, properly. They're not keeping up with rents or, you know, for a lot of different reasons, it's just kind of management is just let the asset go. That's another way you can add value. So, um, you know, with that value add, you know, process, David, you know, there's been a lot of units over the last kind of 10 plus years of this economic growth that have been value added. You've seen maybe multiple owners that have it. Each owner does a little piece, a little piece, a little piece. Um, but have you, you know, are you, you know, are you still seeing units though that that there's still a lot of meat on the bone? I mean, are there still units out there that maybe haven't been value added three or four times that are, you know, maybe coming on the market in the next few years? Sure. You know, you know, while it's clear a lot of the low hanging fruit has been taken, uh, th- there's definitely still some opportunities out there. I think. It's, it's interesting talking to people what each person's version of value add is, you know, and, and what you explained is, is the most common, right? That's the general value add. And, and in our market, especially, you know, I'll compare it to Texas because this is where a lot of people kind of, you know, a lot of people invest in Texas and then because it's heated up, they've come up here. And one of the big differences, you don't necessarily get the same dollar for dollar in value add renovations here. So, you know, just very generally speaking, um, you know, you put five, $6,000 into a unit, you're going to get, you know, anywhere from 50 to $75 a rent bump. I mean, that, that's still low teens return. So it's still attractive, but not a lot of people say in Texas, you know, they can put in 7,000 and they can bump it hundred to 200. Right. So that's, I mean, obviously it's a, a better deal. The, there's not as much rent growth here, but as long as you know that going in, like I said, teens, you know, the return of, of in the, the low to mid teens is still pretty good. And so, um, that's kind of what we're seeing here. Now, with that said, I mean, there are still a lot of properties. It depends on what vintage people want. So our market just really exploded in the 60s and 70s. So about 72% of our entire you know, uh, uh, apartment base is, was built between call it 1960 and 1985. So that, you know, that flat mansard roof, that you know, traditional kind of stuff that people think of as class C properties. And then only about 7% was built probably between 85 and 95. And then slowly after 95, there started to be an increase in, in, in construction. And so the biggest gap is what most people like is that, you know, early 80s to late 90s, you know, where they can go in and just put that kind of easy interior cosmetic upgrade and then and, and turn around and, and sell it. There's just not a lot of inventory in that 
period. Not just that it hasn't been turned, there's just not a lot of inventory there, period. Um, but if somebody's willing to do kind of a heavier lift on value adds, there's still plenty in the, you know, the sixties and seventies vintage. There's also, you know, there's a lot now coming around that are late nineties, early two thousands where there's still nice properties, but maybe they just need to have some amenities added, or maybe they just need to be cleaned up a little bit. Um, so they're out there. They're, they're definitely not as many as there used to be because most of them have transacted, but, but they're definitely still opportunities there. Mm. One issue the industry's facing, not not just in Oklahoma, but nationally, is uh, the recent CDC order that has been continued uh, concerning eviction moratoriums. So, um, you know, in, in some pockets, uh, you are starting to see maybe more people stay in place uh, without paying rent. And, you know, as you're reviewing financials, it really shows up in a lot of times in that bad debt number. Um, so in Oklahoma, how is it? You know, are, are, has, has that is that, you know, is, is the market hot despite that? Has that affected a lot of deals? Just kind of how, how has that impacted your business? Yeah, you know, without question, I mean, it's impacted it some. I think here a lot less than in other markets. I mean, so, you know, nothing really dramatically. Um, you know, I think more just a slower, you know, a slowdown in the, the kind of the broader issue of the economy than specific to apartments. Um, you know, there, there are a few select properties that that were hit hard. I mean, the very worst I've seen is still better than some other markets. I mean, the very worst I've seen is, is I think somebody was at like 65% of collections compared to, you know, pre COVID, which is pretty significant, but that's, that's one property of, you know, uh, of almost 2000 properties in our market. So yeah, just not, you know, not that widespread. I'd say most or are, you know, call it three to maybe three and a half percent, you know, occupancy difference or effective occupancy difference compared to pre-COVID. And that's, and that's, you know, going across the entire, you know, range of asset classes and with the, the biggest con- concentration that's in your, your C, you know, workforce housing. Uh, most of the, the nicer products, they're not really feeling anything. And then even, even breaking it down when you see that the workforce housing, it's really, it, it's interesting to talk to different owners and different managers of, I mean, you have one property that's, that's, you know, they're down 7% or so. And then the property next door, and they're like, yeah, I mean, I think I've had to deal with two people with collection issues over the last year. And it's like, really? I mean, so it's, I think there's, there's really a big, it it depends on what's the management company doing. I mean, are they, are they proactive with working with residents? Are they helping them receive rental assistance? Are they, are they working it out with them? Or are they just saying, Hey, you're on your own, figure it out, pay me rent. And if they're not working with them, that word spreads throughout the property and, and, and you, know, you, you get pushback and people stop paying. Um, so I think that's really the biggest issue. So, I mean, to answer your question, though, overall, I mean, it, it's, it hasn't impacted us too much. I mean, um, you know, you, you do see just like everywhere. I mean, there's, there's a slight difference in income, you know, compared to you know, the same time last year, but, but nothing dramatic. So, you know, when you're looking at maybe comparing Oklahoma City to Dallas, for instance, pricing. So in, in Dallas right now, you're probably for a 1980s vintage deal, you're probably paying somewhere around four and a half cap to maybe four and three quarter cap. Um, you know, it's just it's changed, but that is almost yeah. the new normal uh, in Oklahoma City. You know, is is is, is pricing obviously seen a, a, as much of a velocity or kind of where are you at as far as an average cap rate? Yeah, you know, it, it, it's definitely not a not a four and a half. And, you know, and <laughs> It, 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 it always interests me whenever people come from other markets and they look here and, 
you know, and you say, hey, you know, we can deliver this deal on a, you know, a, a low six, you know, six, one, five or six and a quarter. And they're like, really? And it's like, but that's just market. I mean, um, you know, I'd say overall, the market just on average last year was probably right around, you know, six, if you take all different asset classes, probably around, you know, six, six, five, six, seven, five, somewhere in there, um, you know, and then, you know, it, it, and, and this is, I always like to kind of predicate that on when we do, when we kind of keep our average cap rates, it's based on real numbers, not pro formas and not, you know, anything else. It's, it's true numbers. If, if there's a transaction and we don't have the numbers on it, we, we just don't include it. We're not going to include some, you know, cap rate just because it was announced. I mean, we want to have real numbers. Um, but, you know, I, I'd say, you know, for your average class C stuff, you're in the low sixes, um, you know, sometimes high fives if it's in a good location, um, you know, a class, you know, downtown urban stuff. I mean, they're trading right around a five. I mean, there's a pretty big difference. Um, there's not a lot of really B class properties in our market. Like I said, it, kind of how I explained earlier, there was just a lack of inventory that got built during that time period. Um, so that's why you'll see a pretty big gap when you look at what kind of class C workforce housing and class A is trading at. It's just because they're, they're two really wide ends of the spectrum, almost like a barbell of, of what of what type of properties that are available. But so it's still pretty aggressive. I mean, that's we 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 have a property under contract now that's uh, it's new construction. It's a rural property, but it's it's brand new. I mean, really nice. It's actually halfway between Oklahoma City and Dallas, and it's under contract at, at like a six point six five cap. I think is the, the the number that's at. And I mean, we were surprised. I mean, we got a lot of offers. We got a lot of interest. Um, but frankly, we were surprised that that yield didn't attract more people. But what was interesting, most people thought that wasn't real. They were saying, well, no, what's what's the real cap rate? That's your performer. Like, no, that, that's the real cap rate. <laughs> um, the yield is just there in those rural markets like that. I mean, that same property, had it been in Dallas, would have probably traded for, you know, two and a half million more. If it were in Oklahoma City, about a million and a half more. But because it's in rural Oklahoma, I mean, it, you had to trade it at an aggressive price. Yeah. Uh, you know, wow. Uh, that's, that's, that's pretty incredible uh, yeah. for a lot of different reasons. Um, but when the broker, I, I think about buying it. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's, that sounds good. Um, how, you know, so, you know, kind of the last question uh, before I kind of let you have final thoughts is, so how has, you know, is, everybody was kind of wondering last year, for instance, of, you know, I, I was involved in the transaction in March. And the question was, is are we going to be able to close this thing? And, and, and we did. Um, and you've kind of seen that, you know, after you kind of had the hiccup in maybe March, April, everybody figured out, Hey, you know what? Business is still open. Let's keep doing deals. Let's keep marching forward. So, you know, kind of, as we're kind of early February, you know, are you, are you seeing, you know, do you expect to have a healthy year of trades or people still active or are you still expecting to see a lot of listings and property moving? And, you know, do you still see a hot market and, and kind of how's your kind of first half of the year been, I guess? Yeah, no. So, you know, our first quarter so far, I mean, we're what only a, a, like barely over a month into it. And I think we're going to have, you know, record quarter. Um, you know, there, last year wasn't a bad year for Oklahoma. I mean, it, it, when you look at the overall numbers, it looks really minuscule compared to, to Dallas. But, you know, for Oklahoma, it was down from 2019, but it was still, you know, still a decent year. Um, you know, this year, I think that it'll do even better because there's a lot of pent up demand. What we saw last year was, uh, a lot of the smaller, you know, kind of mom and pop regional players, they were the ones that were were trading. The bigger institutions, they kind of checked out for 2020. You know, when everything happened, they were like, hey, we're just we're not doing anything. 
But the mom and pops and the, the syndicators, they were all saying, hey, we've got to do deals. This is our lifeblood. So, you know, it was the difference of someone that's investing other people's money versus somebody that's investing their own money. And when I mean, you know, syndicators, meaning that's their own money too. They're, they're close friends, family type stuff. They had to do deals. So they found a way to do deals. But because the institutions were out, the overall volume was down. So I think this year, there's a lot of pent up demand. I mean, we are, we're, I mean, we just listed a property on Monday and we verbally accepted an offer today. I mean, wow. there's no slowdown in demand. I mean, the buyers are there, uh, financing still there. I mean, as you know, I mean, you know, financing is readily available. Yeah, you may have to put up a little more in reserves than you used to have to, but it, it that doesn't really seem to have changed anything or impacted anything. Um, so yeah, I, th I think we're going to have a solid year. I think this year it'll definitely, I think be, it'll definitely be 2020. It'll be interesting to see if it beats 2019. I, I don't know if it's quite there, but it's getting close. Obviously, you know, vaccines and whether people take it, that, that'll have a big impact on it. But I think people have worked a way around. They've realized, Hey, this may be our new normal. How do we deal with it? How do we move forward and make deals happen? Um, you know, and that kind of goes to on the brokerage side, you know, last year we had a big shift. I mean, we had to figure out, okay, how do we, how do we continue to transact in, in times like this? And so, you know, we went virtual, we started doing virtual tours and, and virtual marketing and, um, you know, just really changed a lot of the way we did things and, and you had to adapt. And I think the further we get into this pandemic, others are realizing that like, we've got to adapt. I mean, we can't make money unless we're doing deals. So there, there's going to be deals to be had. Well said. And with that, you know, David, I have a, a lot of my students at TCU that listen to this podcast and I, I uh, sometimes assign it uh, in my classes. So um, do you have any final thoughts on it can be anything from kind of lessons you learned as you were building your business to, you know, working with different investors or to anything we talked about today? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, my biggest thing and I look at this in hindsight, I wish I would have done, you know, is. When I got into this business, whether you're getting in as a broker, a lender, uh, you know, an investor, you know, get a mentor, get someone that has done it and and work for them. Right. I mean, you look at the most successful apartment teams now I mean, they're all teams. And I just said it as it's teams, but there's no longer that one off broker that's just dominating a market. It doesn't happen. It took me a long time to learn that. But I, when I finally learned it and built a team. Uh, it, it changed drastically. And so I think that's the number one thing is, is don't think you know everything, right? Go out there, find somebody that's doing it, go into your market and look and see who's the biggest, the best, and see if you can get on them. If you can't go to the next one, see if you can get on there and, and, and learn from them. Um, there's no shame in, in saying you, you caught somebody else's coattails. I mean, it'll save you a lot of time and a lot of headache. Um, you know, and you can do that on the ownership side too. I mean, if you've got to go work for somebody for a few years for, you know, significantly less than you think you're worth, who cares? Go earn that education is, is, is priceless. Um, you know, there's no, like I said, no sense in trying to reinvent the wheel when somebody else has done it. And so that's, yeah, that's my, my biggest thing. And then the second thing is, you know, do something you enjoy and, and, you know, and, and do it with all your heart. Don't, don't, you know, it goes back to what we talked about earlier. Don't, don't think you can, or you have to make every single dollar or that you've got to make it a win-lose situation you can make a lot of money in this business and you can make a lot of money in this business while keeping both sides happy. And it's a small industry, a really small industry. And if you burn bridges or you do something that that's not right, 
other people will know and they're going to stop doing business with you. So, you know, just do, do the right thing. You know, if you, if you do the right thing every time, nothing bad's going to happen. I mean, you know, theoretically, I mean, but things will go good. And so that's, I'd say learn, learn from someone, you know, do what you enjoy and just, you know, stay ethical, do the right thing. Yeah. David, if somebody wants to get a hold of you, uh, how can they reach you? Yeah. Um, you know, they can either email me or my cell phone is uh, 405-514-0340. I have it on me all the time. I mean, I live on it. So that's the easiest way. Or my email address is David D at capstone hyphen companies.com. So either way works or just Google me. There, there's, there's not very many Dirk, David Dirk Schneiders in the real estate industry. So you type in Dirk Schneider, it'll either be me or a, uh, a really weird looking German rock star and uh, a guy named Udo Dirk Schneider. He pops up all over. He's crazy looking. He's famous <laughs> in Germany. So, so I know uh, in the past, uh, I knew that the best time to call you on your cell phone is between the hours of 2 a.m. and 4 a.m. Is yep, that still right. in, in play? Okay, perfect. Yep, yep. My phone doesn't ring. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, with that, David, thank you for your time, man. We're all better for it. And, uh, dude, i just uh, lucky to call you a friend. Thank you. Yeah, I, I feel the same way. And thanks for having me on. Yeah, of course. Thanks, David. See ya. Thank you.